our main focus today is chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. And what we're talking about today is our spiritual paternity test. Our spiritual paternity test. Not maybe something we think about from Scripture, but actually that's what we're going to talk about uh, today. Um, here is the last two verses of chapter 2, which our brother Mark led us through last week, much of chapter 2. It says, and now, dear children, notice that uh, greeting there, which John just loves to use. Dear children, dear children, my children. He just had this grandfatherly approach to the church family. And uh, he was in his 90s when he wrote this. He was aged, and they led him around, and he knew the church was in trouble in some ways, so he's going to address some key issues for them to get in straight, to get straight, and to get straightened around with. So, dear children, continue in him, in the Lord, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. Nobody wants to be ashamed at the second coming of Christ. We want to be confident and excited. Brian was kind of talking about that. Enter this phase of our societal, cultural life with anticipation and with eagerness that God's going to work in ways that he's never been able to work, never been up to working before. That we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. That's where this really comes from. This phrase right here that uh, we are born of him. A phrase John used to love because he quoted Jesus. John 3.16, everyone must be born again. Now, as he said, not born of flesh and blood, but born of the spirit, born of God. And that's what we want to think about today is what does it mean to be, how can you know that you are a child of God? How can you know that you've been born of him? What's your paternity test? What's the way in which it gets tested out in your life? Now, we have all kinds of blessings around here. One of the greatest blessings is, is uh, kiddos. The other day, I got called by Ezra and Michaela, and they said, you got to come over. Our little Ariel, Ariel, he, he needs a blessing. He needs some prayer. Would you come over? There was nothing wrong. It was just, let's pray for children. Isn't that wonderful? Now, I don't know, can you see Ezra in him? You, you can? Yeah. <laughs> How about Michaela? <laughs> yeah. And that's what we're thinking about today is how children resemble their parents. How children take after their parents. Not just in physical features, <laughs> you know. How many of you have kids that take after you, not just in physical features, but maybe, maybe, man, he's got a temper like his dad. <laughs> or that kid is sweet as a, Sweet, just as sweet as his mom. Notice how I did that, Dad. <laughs> I worked on that one. <laughs> uh, characteristics that pop out from children 
because they're resembling their parents. Now, sometimes physical features, I've got these, you know, features, <laughs> and my dad had the exact same features. So when people see me now, they go, Bob Sanders, you know, because that's my dad's name, because I so resemble him even physically, you know. I have a good friend, some of you know him, he's preached here before, George Johnson. He and I are not related physically, but we uh, have a lot of the same features together. And when we're up at camp, his kids get me confused with him and his grandkids, not his kids, his grandkids. So I'm like, that's so much fun. You can really play some good tricks on someone you resemble them. In this case, we are looking at um, resembling the heavenly father. And knowing that our paternity is directly related to our resembling the Heavenly Father and having those... Um, see, kids resemble their parents. Let me back up one to this uh, phrase here. Because I am a child of God, I am pursuing righteousness consistently as I look forward to being made like Jesus permanently. Think about that for a minute. I'm going to repeat it one more time. Because I'm a child of God, I am pursuing righteousness consistently as I look forward to being made like Jesus permanently. Now, you've maybe heard this before. Well, we're all children of God. You know? And in one sense, in terms of God the creator, we're all his creation. We are all children of God. But in terms of biblical understanding, we are not all children of God. God does not adopt us unless we want to be adopted. We are not part of his family by force. He does not force anyone. He invites everyone, but he will not force anyone. And if you're not in God's family, you're in Satan's family. You're in the devil's family. You may not know it. A lot of people don't know it. But there is, according to Scripture, no neutral ground. You are either adopted into the, the kingdom, the family of God, or you're not. So that's why we invite everyone. That's why we urgently plead with everyone. Become a believer. Become a truster of Christ. Jump into the kingdom of God. That's why it's saying here, when Jesus comes back, you don't want to be going, I don't know where I, I don't know if I'm a, a saved or not. You want to be going, come quickly, Lord Jesus. You want to be addressing him with the confidence of a child. Not a child when their mom says, just wait till your father gets home. You're getting a whipping. But more when the, uh, the report card comes in and it's all A's. Oh, your dad is going to be so tickled when he gets home. You, you see the difference? They're both wait till your father gets home. One's drastically different from the other. He wants us on the side of knowing where we stand with the Lord. And everyone can stand with confidence, knowing. Now, paternity tests are used today in a lot of negative ways. Usually it's to get the father to be responsible financially for the upraising, for the raising up of the children. Isn't that how we use, often use paternity tests? Or when there's, uh, when there's sexual promiscuity and you're not sure which one of the father potentials are really the father 
just like to nail it down. In our case, what we're looking at today has nothing to do with forcing God. In fact, God wants us to note the paternity is him. He's volunteering. He's saying, please be my child. Please be my son or daughter. Please be in my family. I want to adopt you. See, he doesn't want us to come as slaves. He doesn't want us to come as servants. He doesn't want us to come as enemies. He wants us to come as dear children adopted into the kingdom of God. So how do we know that God is our father? How can we, what can we test out to kind of note that? Now, some people would say, well, it's a ritual or religious experience. Some would say, I've got a baptism certificate, you know? And by the way, it was a good thing. Baptism certificates do not make you a child of God. It's a heart issue. Okay? Some people would say socially. Well, I connect with the, the family reunion of the church, so therefore, I'm a child of God. Not necessarily. There are people that show up to the picnic for the family reunion that aren't necessarily family members. He wants you to be a family member. <laughs> he wants you to be intricately connected. So what is that spiritual paternity test? Let's jump into chapter 3, verses 1, just verse 1 to start with, and talk about the first one that uh, we're talking about. How do you know? How do you know? Because you're treated like Jesus. Okay, this answers the question, well, if I'm a child of God, is it now or later? Am I a child of God right here, right now, in the moment? Or is it something that someday off there in the far beyond, I'll be a child of God? No, he says it now. But the other question is, if I'm a child of God now, why am I having a hard time sometimes? Why do things get so tough sometimes? Why does it have to... If I'm a child of God, shouldn't it be easier? You ever ask yourself that? That's where this comes in. You know you're a child of God when they treat you like they treated Jesus. Okay? When they treat you like they treated Jesus, and he said, don't be surprised when the world hates you. It hated me first. Okay? You're going to know that you're a child of God when the enemy puts his focus and a target on your back. You know you're a child of God when you are attacked. Now, that's not always easy. We've done a good job in the church through the last couple of generations telling people, accept Jesus and the road will be smooth and everything will be fine and you'll have no more problems. Nothing could be further from the truth. There will be a difference, and you'll have strength like you've never had before. But the problemless life, the, the trouble-free life, is not what Jesus calls us to. He calls us to follow him into the battle. Follow him into the battle. So here's, and you just got to focus on this. If this isn't one of your favorite verses, let me introduce it to you. This is so fantastic. See what great love the Father 
lavished on us. That we should be called children of God. I mean, think about it for a minute. This God of the universe calls us his kids. Is that amazing and incredible? He says, behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, the old King James says. You know, it's, it's behold. It's not like just take a casual glance. No, it's like fix your eyes on this. Pay attention to this. Behold and see what great love the Father has lavished on us. In fact, the, the, the King James says, what manner of love the Father has given to us. I mean, stare at this love for a minute. Focus your attention on what kind of love God's given to us. You know that phrase, what manner or what kind or what great love, what great love? That's the same phrase they used about Jesus when he calmed the sea and everybody went, what manner of man is this that he can calm the storm with a word? Whoa. Same, th same thing here. He says, what kind of great love the Father has lavished. Think about that for a minute. I mean, we don't use that word a lot. He has lavished on us. He's not just stingily giving us a teeny bit like our communion cups, you know. <laughs> no, he has lavished his love on us. He has poured his love over us. And he has given us that amazing love. That we should be called children of God. For that is what we are. Can we focus on that a little bit? That is what we are today, right now. Not someday far away. Not someday down in the future. But right now. We are to, he says, you are right now. That is what you are. Don't marvel, Jesus said, if the world hates you, know that it hated me first. If you were of the world, the world would love you. But I have chosen you out of the world. When you become adopted into the kingdom of God, when you become a child of God, you are no longer a child of the devil or a child of the world. You're a child of God. And as a child of God, the world does not love you. Therefore, the world, Jesus said, hates you. Now, that's not to deter or detract us from becoming children, just the opposite. But it is to warn us that when we step foot in the kingdom of God, the challenge is on. And as an adopted child, you need to know that. This is what we are. I think Brian was talking about our identity. Well, that's really what he's getting at here. When you're treated like Jesus was treated, it has to do with who you are. Who you are. That's what this says. That is what you are. A child of God. So I just want you, where you're seated today, just sit up for a minute and just drink in a, a breath and just say, I am now a child of God. Let it sink in for a minute. Let it address you and to the depth of your identity. And I think you probably need to do that every morning when you get up. So don't put on your shoes and go, 
What, what, put on your shoes and go, I'm a child of God today. I'm a child of God right now. That's what I am. Not just what I will be, but what I am today. I mentioned earlier the question about, well, then, if we're children, then why all the, why all the challenges? You know, That's what I was mentioning earlier about if we are gods. Here's what it says. If God were your father, if he was your paternity, you would love me, for I have come here from God. This is from John chapter 8, not from 1 John, but from John. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. Here's what it says. You belong to your father. What? You belong to your father, the devil. There's only two potential sources of paternity. He says, you belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. We talk about fake news. <laughs> yeah. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? I am telling you the truth. Why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you don't hear is that you do not belong to God. See, the world is not going to recognize you for who you are. The world is not going to acknowledge you for who you are. You need to note that. They're going to be ignoring and, um, and they're going to call you things. They're going to say, oh, you just need a crutch. You're just so weak, you got to have that religious stuff. You ever hear that? You know, the world's going to give you that. The world's going to say, you're, you're just superstitious and religious. Or they're going to say, you just believe a bunch of myths and fairy tales. You know? And you will be attacked for your very belief in Jesus. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. In fact, the end of verse uh, 1 of chapter 3, here's what it says. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. So you're going to be treated just like Jesus was treated. And since the world didn't know him, it's not going to know you. So that's the first truth. How do you know you're a child of God? You're attacked by the world. <laughs> I'm sorry for the bad news today. No, but that's how that's in a way how you know you've gone from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. That's how you know you have not been you you've been adopted into the kingdom of God because now you have a clear enemy attacking you and your family, you and your loved ones, you and the church that you belong to. So let's take the second truth. If the first truth is you're a child of God because you're treated. As, he, as Jesus was treated. The second one is this. Soon you will be like Jesus. The way you know you're a child of God is you're on the way to being like Jesus. Soon we will be like Jesus. So just take verse 2. We took verse 1 first to start with. 
dear friends, now we are children of God. He repeats it again. We're children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. He's not yet shown us all that we're going to be. We are children of God. What are we going to be? We're going to be like his son. We're going to be like Jesus. That's the hope that he puts inside of us. He says, it has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be what? Like him. Oh, brothers and sisters, isn't that encouraging? We know what our future holds. We know where we are headed. We know what our characteristics are going to look like because we know our dad. Because we know our father. Because Jesus, the Son of God, led the way as the first fruits for all of us to get excited about. It says, when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We're not going to see a figment of our imagination. We're going to see him in his totality. What is the future of God's kids? What we will be has not yet been made known, but we will be like him. Is that exciting or what? Is that encouraging? When we ask ourselves the question, why all the challenges, and is it worth it? I want to say to you unequivocally, yes, it's worth it. When you have a future and a hope like this, it is 100% worth it. We're going to see him as he is and be like him. A lot of people ask those kinds of questions. What is it going to be like to be like Jesus? To know him completely. The Bible says now we see him like in a mirror that's all foggy. Like in a glass that's cloudy. Like through a mosaic of a, of a stained glass window where you really can't make out the totality of who Jesus is. That's the state we're in now, the Bible says. We see him in part, we know him in part, but one day, when he appears, we're not going to see him in part, we're going to see him, the Bible says, face to face. We're going to know him heart to heart. We're going to know him character to character, spirit to spirit. There will be no barriers between us. Right now, there's a barrier. Now we only know him in part. But then we, it says we will know him fully and we will be fully known by him. Well, let's move to the second part of that, seeing Jesus, because then we will see him what? As he is. Seeing Christ. We only see him in part. Now, now I just heard the other day that uh, Mickey Mouse is 86 years old. He doesn't look a day over 30, you know. <laughs> Have you seen him down in Disneyland? You know, disguises make people look different, don't they? And sometimes, I mean, the, the, the key for us is we're going to know him, not with a disguise. We're going to know him as he really is. Not with physical features, but with his character. You know, Jesus was passionate about people seeing him, people knowing him, and even knowing his glory. Look at this verse from uh, John 17. This is his prayer in the garden. He said, Father, I want those you've given me to be where I am, to be in my presence. 
and to see my glory. Oh, folks, it's nothing we could contain. It's nothing we could handle right now. But he's praying about a future where we would not just see a portion of Jesus, not just see a, the hand of Christ in the earth, we would see him as he is in all his glory. That they may see my glory, the glory you've given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. The glory of Christ, the glory of Jesus is going to be before our face, before our eyes. And the Bible says we are going to hit the dirt we're going to bow our faces before the Heavenly Father and His Son, Jesus. We're going to see Jesus the Christ. Remember uh, in Exodus, it stated that no one's going to see the face of God and live. Show me your glory. The Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one can see me and live. That's why we look forward to seeing his face in a different dimension. It's not an earthly dimension where we can't live, but there is a place, there is a time, there is going to be the presence of God in a way that is face to face knowing him in all his glory. Jesus prayed for it, and God's not, the Father's not going to deny the Son the answer to his prayer. So are you ready for that? <laughs> Part of you knowing that you're a child of God, one is you're treated like Jesus, even abused, and number two, you will soon be like Jesus. Let's take number three. Number three is being like Jesus on that part. We shall be like him. We shall be like him. We mentioned earlier that we'd be glorified like he is glorified. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does perishable inherit imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ will be raised imperishable. And we will all be, say it out loud, changed. One more time, changed. Now, I know they put that on jokingly on nurseries. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. We're not talking about that, you know. But we are talking about how we will be like Jesus. Now, just let that sink in for a minute. We're not just going to see him as he is, but what he is, <laughs> we will share. He says, we're not going to be imperishable. We'll be buried imperishable, but we'll be raised imperishable. Uncorruptible, one version says. <laughs> We will all be changed to his likeness. We shall all, it says, be like him. Jot this down. Number one, we're going to have a glorified body. We're going to have a glorified body. Remember Jesus' resurrected body? He could toast bread and fish and eat with his disciples, but he could also go through a wall. Kind of go, what? What? 
That's weird. He says, I think we can count on that kind of glorified body. That's the body Jesus took with him. We're going to have a purified character. So glorified body, purified character. The Bible says whoever has this hope in him purifies himself. We're going to get to that. A purified character. And lastly, a satisfied heart. You're not going to want for anything. When he changes you into his likeness, the longings of your heart, the desires you've got now, all the things that you yearn for right now will be satisfied. The things you go, why, 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 will all be answered. Glorified body, purified character, and satisfied heart. I remember hearing about a tombstone. One word was on it. And the verse from Psalm 17, just one word said, satisfied. Satisfied. You know, all the longings of our hearts will one day be, Psalm 17, satisfied in our relationship with him. Now it's in part, then face to face. Can we go through one more scripture here? This is from Philippians chapter 3. This is the Apostle Paul. Listen to what he says. But our citizenship is in heaven. Are you catching that today? (laughs) Your family is God's and your citizenship is heaven. And we eagerly await for a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies. That's our earthly bodies, what we're dwelling with now, all those questions we have about why is life so tough sometimes. He will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. When you need a verse to hang on to, that's a good one right there. Your body will be like Jesus' resurrected, glorified body. Is that, are, are you excited? That's what we yearn for. That's what our soul's desire is deep down inside. That's what the Bible says we groan for that deep down. Lord, why all this pain? Well, pain is a result of sin in the world. Lord, why all this disease? Why all this trouble? Because disease and sickness is a result of sin in the world. We weren't made for a world with sin and sickness. We were made for the world we're headed toward. And he says, I promise you, according to this, you will be like his glorious body. Hang on to that. Let that resonate with you because that's one of the proofs that you are a child of God. That's one of his paternity tests for you because you will be like him. In our world, I, I can't imagine trying to see the end of your, your life with no hope. For an unbeliever, it, it, we got to get the word out that there's another world, that there's another dimension that God is calling us to look forward to him, to have hope. Because we as believers, <laughs> they've said it this way, we don't have a hopeless end, we've got an endless hope. Right? Amen. Well, let's take the um, third part of this. It says, daily, what do we want to do? We mimic Jesus. One of the ways you can tell who a kid's parents are is when they mimic what the parent's doing. Right? 
think they had an old commercial with the little boy sitting next to his dad in the tree, uh, and the man lit up a cigarette, and the little boy reached to mimic his dad. You know, and it was an anti-smoking uh, advertisement, but oh, how real it, it works. We as children mimic our parents. Mimic, that's the idea of a, a mime, right? A mime mimics, and that's the, the idea here is you do what they do. You act like they act. So it's, we've gone from, you know, he says, what you are, children of God. He says, what you shall be, you'll be like Jesus. Now this one focuses on what you should be. Clean, his, righteous. Listen to this from verses three through five. All who have this hope in them. What's the hope? The very thing we're talking about. Being children of God and anticipating a glorified body. They purify themselves just as he is pure. So now we're getting down to how you live your daily life. How it translates into mimicking Christ on an everyday basis. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. Very key for us in our society right now. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. Could you underline that? He appeared so that he might take away our sins. And that's not just on a judicial sense of stamping on there, paid in full, it's taken away. That happens. But taken away from our everyday practice, getting better and better at sin. He says that's not what life is about. Mimic Jesus and you won't um, be taken over by sin. You will be having your sins taken away. He says, and in him there is no sin. I jot it this way. The lifestyle, jot this in, of righteousness. A lifestyle of righteousness. That's just simply right living. That's simply being righteous. I mentioned earlier, if, uh, depending on your relationship with your dad, what the uh, circumstances are, wait till your father gets home can be a positive or a negative. And when we are following Christ, we want to please him. Our joy and our passion is for that. I remember hearing about a young lady that was out uh, partying with some friends, and a fellow said to her, hey, let's go over here. It gets even more wild. And she said, no, I think I'd rather go home. He said, what's the matter? You afraid your dad's going to hurt you? She said, no, I'm afraid I'm going to hurt my dad. She said, I, I don't want to do that. And that's the passion for a believer. It's not because we have to do stuff. It's not because of punishment. It's more out of our relationship with the Father that we say, Lord, would you make me like your son? Would you help me to mimic on a daily basis the things? See, that's why it says Jesus was tempted in every way like we are. We can't say, well, he's God, so therefore it's discount. No, he was man like you and I are human. And he calls on us to imitate him. In fact, let's be uh, talking about copycats for a moment. Be a copycat of Jesus now. It's not a bad thing to be a copycat when it comes to copying Christ. 
Do what he does and follow him. You know, when it comes to, when it comes to sin, so often we're self-absorbed and we're focusing on ourselves. I was thinking about this the other day. It was up at Pleasant Valley where they've got an archer um, field. You know, and if, if an archer gets out his arrow and his bow and he's focused on the arrow and the bow and he shoots that arrow, what chance is there of hitting the target? <laughs> Pretty much zero. He's going to aim, he's going to now, if he focuses on the goal, which, by the way, that's the word for sin, <laughs> missing the mark. If you focus on Christ, if you focus on Jesus, if you focus on his heart, then you're more likely <laughs> to tune in to what his plan is for you. Don't focus on yourself. Don't focus on your sin. Oh, I'm such a wretched man. I'm such a filthy sinner. Focus on Jesus. Oh, I want to be more like that. I want to be more like him and mimic his life. And you're going to be a lot more op optional, op op take a lot more advantage of his goal for you. True Christians cannot wait to be like Jesus. Think of these verses for a minute. First John says, whoever says he abides in Christ must walk in the same way in which he walked. Do what Jesus did. Mimic him. First Peter, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. Follow his pattern. Follow his steps. And of course, the Apostle Paul who said, be an imitator of me as I am an imitator of Christ. Do you imitate Jesus? Do the people around you see Jesus being mimicked in your life and go, oh, that's a Christian. He's got a Christ-like attitude. She's got a Christ-like spirit. She's got Christ-like behavior. There's a purity in their life that only comes from copying Jesus. Sin gets less and less evident. No longer are we under the reign and rule of sin. We, we still sin. Nobody's perfect. But instead of sin being our dominant controlling force, it becomes occasional rather than automatic. We begin to see. Someone said, you are not sinless, but with God's help and his spirit, you do sin less and less and less. You become more like, which is our goal, to become more like Jesus, to focus on his pattern in our lives. Be imitators of Christ as he is, as the Apostle Paul was an imitator of Jesus. One last one. If you want to know your paternity, that you are indeed a child of God, always love what Jesus loves. Purity, yes. Purity and people. Two things. <laughs> always love what Jesus loved. Jesus says, abide in me and you will bear much fruit. Abide in me and if my words abide in you, you will be Christ's children. You know, one day Jesus was walking past the temple and uh, outside the temple they had this huge ornate 
uh, vine. It was made out of gold. In fact, the leaves on it were pure gold. The size of, we would say the size of a football, the leaves on this. It had jewels for the, the grapes that were coming from it. And as they walked past that, it seems that's where Jesus turned and said, I am the true vine, the true vine that comes from the Father. He says, if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. And he was able to say to them, this building, this temple, not one stone will be left on another. But when you put your faith, when you put your heart, when you put your trust in me, he says, it will last forever. No one who lives keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin. Get that up there. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or know him. Dear children, don't let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared to you was to destroy the devil's works. Now, we heard earlier the reason Jesus came was to take away our sins. What's this one say? Jesus came to do away with the works of the devil. Two clear objectives. Purify us from sin and abolish the evil one. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who was born of God will continue to sin. So one version says to practice sin, getting better and better and better every day at sinning. He says, no, that doesn't happen because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who is the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child. Anyone who does not love their brother or sister is not the child of God. See, he's, he's calling on us not to practice sinning, getting better and better at it. Instead, instead of that habitual way of life, we fail at times, and we turn immediately to, to Christ. Let me cover one more, this um, John 15, and we'll be done. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Think of that for a minute. Now remain in my love. Love the things that Jesus loved, and you'll have no problem. And when you love purity... He helps you be pure. When you love people, he helps you solidify your relationship with him through that. Jesus died to take away sins, and he died to destroy those works of the devil. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Love each other just as I have loved you. So how do we know our paternity? We know our paternity because of how we're being treated right now. We know our paternity because soon we're going to be like Jesus. We know our paternity because he's calling on us to not only see him as he is, but to be like him. And we know our paternity because we love what Jesus loves. Our heart is unified with him in this. 
Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for encouraging us this morning that you called us, lavished your love on us. You've called us your children. You've given us your grace. Thank you, Father, for the assurance and confidence we have because your word is so very clear. Would you help us to share that with everyone we know, call everyone to that same relationship with you that you call all of us to. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us the way that you do. In Jesus' name, amen.